All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jessan Nam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Well, everybody, we're broadcasting, we're doing the show with uh, Arab Talk in slightly different situation, as you can see. Jamal and I are under the California Governor Newsom's shelter-in-place order. We are both uh, sheltering in place in Northern California, but because of the technology that we're able to use, we're able to broadcast to you, you know, Arab Talk. Jamal, since we've last done Arab Talk, things have gotten significantly and appreciably worse in terms of the worldwide pandemic. How are you doing? I'm doing well, just doing what uh, so, uh, like what we're supposed to do, sheltering in place, working from home, just getting out only if uh, I needed some groceries uh, or something urgent. Uh, if I go out, it will be for a walk where no one is there, which is, in a way, we are lucky to be living in Northern California, uh, where you have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of beach or around Highway 1 or other places that you can go for uh, hikes and stay away, stay away from people, uh, do some exercises at home, uh, don't panic, follow the orders. I think it's very important uh you know I'll, I'll i'll come back to you and ask you some of the technical questions but just a, you know a quick update because i've been also following different websites and i think it has been very useful to to track the case of uh new york which is the worst just uh just watched a few minutes ago a press briefing by governor como of uh, new york and it looks very, very bad there. There are up to 30,000 cases there. And just to give you an idea as far as the United States, the second closest to New York is New Jersey with 3,100 cases. Right. And then California with 2,600. So New York has, it's 15 times of what we have in California, even though California is uh, as far as population wise uh, rivals New York but New York it's really like the way he was painting it but I'm, I'm also I'm impressed in the way he has been handling handling the crisis uh, when we compare that to uh, President Donald Trump I mean day and night so I myself stopped listening to Donald Trump. I don't know about the rest of the nation. And I'd rather listen to someone like Governor Newsom of California or Governor uh, Como, and of course, other uh, health experts. So in New York, I wanted to ask you questions because, I, because what he was saying is, what happens in New York will eventually happen to you. That's the message. And that they are because New York has the highest cases, and he explained it. Why was that the case? Because he said, of course, the global tra travel, everyone from around the globe uh, travels to New York first. And then the second thing, the crowded, you know, population there like Manhattan and New York City. And then he was talking about, people don't understand, hitting the apex 
because what they're trying right. to do the surge and they said this is going to be about 21 days so the message he was sending is that they needed the help first in New York because they pretty much consider themselves as the epicenter and not until they hit the apex and so all kind of resources should be devoted to New York and then they they can share their expertise and then transfer these resources like respirators, etc., to uh, the rest of the country. So what does it mean hitting the apex? People keep hearing that. Okay, Jamal, so this is a really good question. I want to put things for our listeners and our viewers in, in context is that as of today, the country with the greatest rate of increase. So there's a couple of things that you have to understand the total number of people who are infected and how fast the number of infections are coming. These are two very important uh, figures. New York, well, the United States is considered on the leading edge. It's probably, you know, together with Europe right now, pretty much the epicenters of the worldwide uh, COVID-19 epidemic in terms of numbers and in terms of uh, the spread. Within the United States, we have two places right now that are especially vulnerable. New York City, which, you know, the numbers that you you uh, spoken uh, about from Governor Cuomo are absolutely correct, but also the state of Louisiana right now. The state of Louisiana, in terms of actual numbers of people, um, is not as great as New York City, but the rate that people are getting affected is actually worse than New York. So the apex is a very important point. When you look at what happened in China and you look at what happened in, uh, in uh, Italy, for example, what's happening in Spain, what's happening in other parts of the world, is that with the nature of the coronavirus and COVID-19, what happens, there's a kind of steep incline as to the number of people that are getting infected. And it looks like for some of the hardest hit areas that the number of cases are doubling every two to four days. Um, in New York City, it's a little faster. In other parts of the country, it's a little slower. In San Francisco, for example, in the Bay Area, it's, it's growing pretty significantly right now. The apex is the point at which the maximum number are being infected. And then for one or two days afterwards, you start to see a decline. So here's the bad news for the world. Here's the bad news for the United States. Here's the bad news for Governor Cuomo and the people of New York. They haven't even come close to hitting the apex. And one of the reasons uh, why New York City is so devastated by all of this is that you have obviously, you know, an international travel hub but you have close proximity of people, you had people who were infected, and you had people walking in New York, shopping, going to work, doing everything that New Yorkers and Americans do and people all over the world doing at a time when either they weren't taking it seriously or before the governor put his shelter-in-place order, which isn't, by the way, a complete sheltering-in-place, so that you got, you know, just an unbelievable number of people who got infected one of yeah, the and they think they think also there that they started way before 
They did. Yeah, they they actually didn't realize how how uh, early uh, that thing spread. And you're absolutely having lived in New York myself for ten years and in Manhattan. There is no way you can avoid people because you know, as you know, like for example, Manhattan, everyone lives in apartment buildings. You have to take the elevator or the stairs, and then you know. Hundreds of people touch the elevator handles, the buttons, uh, uh, you know, not, not to mention, even if you stayed in the building, it's close proximity. And I don't know about how long uh, public transportation has been running in Manhattan, like buses and subways. But here's the other thing, Jamal. The coronavirus looks like it can live for up to 17 days on different services. So if you sneeze in an elevator... And that elevator happens to have metal parts. Which it does, usually aluminum and stainless steel. Exactly, which, and on stainless steel, the coronavirus seems to live the longest. The other problem with New York and New Jersey, for example, which is the second largest uh, exposed state right now, is that uh, people are leaving New York to get away and going to upstate New York or going to Jersey or going to other places. And unfortunately... These people are leaving and getting other people infected. So what Governor Cuomo noticed and what we're noticing in terms of the spread of the disease is that if you're in New York and you left, there's a chance that you're probably infecting other people outside the greater uh, metropolitan New York and New Jersey area. Um, Governor Cuomo is not a person that's prone to exaggeration. And what he said today may unfortunately be underestimating. He said, for example, yesterday uh, about the number of respirators that he needs. They need 40 to 50 to 60,000 respirators just in New York, uh, in the in the New York City area. Uh, the Trump administration was willing to give them 3,000 or 4,000 respirators. Just in terms of basic medical needs, we don't have masks. We don't have PPE or uh, personal protective equipment. We don't have the testing. All of these promises uh, that the Trump administration made in terms of getting supplies out, getting testing out, all of this has fallen uh, not just short, but has been, they've been saying things that have been a complete fabrication. The biggest thing that I worry about is that you have the president of the United States contradicting science contradicting reality, contradicting data. And actually yesterday, you heard this, Jamal, he said he would like the United States to get back to normal life in 18 days. On by Easter. Easter. By Easter. That's, that's just not delusional and outside of reality. That is catastrophically dangerous to imagine that people could go back to their daily lives within 18 days. We have not hit the peak in the United States. We're, some people are saying, and I actually believe this, we're not even close to the peak. And then once it hits the peak, you've got months until the disease course runs its case. Italy, for example, hit its peak. You know, it took about two months, and now it's going to take probably another couple of two months before it begins to stabilize and get even. So the complete, um, it's, it's, it's dangerous, it's harmful, it's 
it's catastrophic to have the president of the United States give the impression that people could go back to work. What about the news uh, from uh, China that, uh, like, uh, like we're from the epicenter, the, the Wuhan uh, province, that now it looks like they, uh, they are going to be permitting people to go out in, in the streets and that they have controlled the outbreak. I don't know if I believe it. Number one, I don't think the people of Wuhan believe it. Number two, and then one thing that people aren't talking about, Jamal, is something called secondary infections, which means you can go through your 14-day kind of self-quarantine, have no symptoms. You could still be a carrier, even though you don't have symptoms. And then you could falsely believe that everything is okay, go out there and develop a secondary wave of infections. You know, the Trump administration is not talking about this, but the possibility of a second wave and a third wave of secondary and tertiary third stage infections is out there. So the, the idea about Easter being a time when things can come back to uh, normalcy for the economy is, is, uh, is, is really being, is putting the lives of Americans and putting lives of everybody in the world at risk. It's, it's, uh, it's reckless. It's, 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 it's beyond reckless for anybody to think that we're going to be through this in the next couple of weeks, certainly by the time of Easter. If the projections are as bad as we think, Jamal, and I'm just talking about the primary trajectory, not secondary or third wave infections, this coronavirus pandemic in the United States could be with us through the spring, through the summer, and into the fall. So the Trump administration, their solution to a, a medical pandemic is to have an economic solution to a medical pandemic, to a medical problem, to a public health problem. The coronavirus doesn't care about a $2 trillion infusion. I mean, it's good that we're doing that because people need money, people need to survive, people need these things. But the idiocy of thinking that just because people are going to have money in their pocket and businesses will get through this, that everything will get better, is a dangerous game that Donald Trump and his administration are playing. This is not going to be over. People need to shelter in place. People need to avoid any kind of gatherings. You need to continue to wash your hands. You can remain asymptomatic and be a carrier for a much longer period of time now. So I, I hate to say this, Jamal, but we haven't even begun to see how bad this epidemic is in the United States. Because once, once this starts hitting close to the apex, you're going to see not just tens of thousands of people, but potentially hundreds of thousands of people and maybe millions of people infected. And those people who are going to get infected, Jamal, are going to be doctors, nurses, health yeah. professionals. They've already had some. What, what have you been hearing about any advancement uh, about uh, viral drugs? Uh, research, vaccines, uh, are, are we getting any, any closer to at least 
finding a treatment. Uh, of course, I don't want to talk about, I mean, Trump went ahead and said, you know, the, uh, I forgot the name of the drug that he used to treat mal malaria. Yeah, chloroquine. And, it's yeah, called chloroquine. Said, yeah, exactly. And he said, this is going to be the miracle drug. And then we hear about this poor man in Florida using right. something similar from, uh, I guess, from the swimming pool, chlorine or whatever, drinking it and then dying because of it. Right. So Trump is acting like a doctor. Well, I have a little piece of advice for, for people all over the world. Do not listen to Dr. Trump because he himself said this. He says he makes comments based on gut feelings. So this is someone who doesn't believe in science, who doesn't believe in the data that his own uh, advisors are giving him. You know, Anthony Fauci is probably the most respected epidemiologist and infectious disease doctor, not just in the United States, but in the world, is, is contradicting Trump, Trump right on stage saying, you know, there's no magic treatment out right now. Let's talk about vaccines. They started the first vaccine clinical trial in Seattle uh, with, a, with a promising vaccine, giving it to people who were asymptomatic and not infected yet. It takes 12 months to 18 months to safely uh, develop vaccines. So the idea that a vaccine will be developed in the foreseeable future, it's not gonna happen in months and it may, it's not gonna happen before the end of the year. It's not gonna happen before we reach the epidemic. So the idea of a, a miracle vaccine is not even remotely medically or scientifically possible for at least another 12 months to 18 months. Let's talk about treating the symptoms. You have the COVID-19, you have bad symptoms. This malarial drug, chloroquine, uh, in the laboratory has been shown to kill the virus. But here's the problem, Jamal. You, you put the virus in a test tube, you put this anti-malarial drug in it, it kills the virus in a test tube, but so what? You know, what happens in the body, the human body is very different than what happens in a test tube. On humans. Yeah, so, and because we, we haven't done double blind studies, they have given chloroquine to some people with COVID-19 symptoms, and some of them have gotten better. But because we haven't done double-blind studies, which means we haven't given some people chloroquine and some people placebo, we don't know if, they, if these people who got better would have gotten better just anyways, not because of chloroquine. So with, with these anti-malarial drugs, as well as antibiotics like uh, Zithromax or z -Pak, some people are taking these medications and feeling better, but we don't know if it's because of the medicine or they're just, they naturally got better. That's why you need to do science. That's why you need to do double blind studies. That's why you need to do these things because instead of just saying, oh, I feel good about this, this is gonna change everything, uh, which is made up, it's delusional, it's, it has nothing to do with reality, we have to do the science. Now, so basically, basically, I mean, now the only protection you have is to shelter in place, wash your hands, stay away from people. But then I keep hearing uh, about the treatments that they're uh, providing. Why explain why ventilators are so necessary? 
I mean, sure. for most people, yeah, you hear about people on ventilators when sure. they are in the ICU. And now in New York, they're talking about splitting ventilators because they're running out of ventilators or they don't have enough ventilators. So it seems to me that's kind of like the only line of defense. Good question. I just, before I get to that, I want to talk about uh, antiviral, antiretroviral or retroviral medications. That's the second medication that uh, Trump mentioned in his press conference because with viruses, they work so differently. The medications that they're testing or using on people with the coronavirus are these things that are called antiviral treatments. And what these medications do, Jamal, is that they get into the virus and they stop the replication of the virus process. The reason these pandemics and viral infections get people sick so quickly is once you have a virus, it replicates, it repeats itself. It, it, it kind of basically your body becomes kind of like a petri dish or a host for the virus. The virus kind of replicates itself and gets bad. These medications, which are used for other conditions like Ebola, HIV, other viral conditions, are showing some promise with people who have um, COVID-19. But we still have the same problem. You still have to do the double-blind studies. Uh, the antiretrovirals that uh, Trump was talking about have been used for other conditions. So it is it is reckless to say that these medications show great promise. There's reason to be somewhat encouraged by this. It's clear that it doesn't work for everybody, but there is no cure. And what you said is exactly right. The best thing you can do, shelter in place, uh, wash your hands, and don't get infected. Okay, respirators. Well, here's the problem with the virus, Jamal. COVID-19 is what we call a respiratory disease. So when the virus gets into your body, it attacks various parts of your body. It seems like one of the target areas that the COVID-19 virus attacks is the lungs. And so when it attacks your lungs, your lungs don't work. You develop pneumonia, which is fluid in your lungs, and you feel like you're choking to death and you're going to die. What a respirator does, it breathes for you. It keeps you alive. It keeps your blood oxygenated because your lungs can't do it. And the idea is when you go on a respirator, the respirator is providing you with the oxygen and the breathing that you need to stay alive while the medicine that they're giving you, if they're giving you anything, uh, does its course and tries to slow the virus down or your body develops its own immunity and is able to, to, to stop the, the growth of the virus. In healthy people who get a small respiratory infection, some people's own immune systems are able to treat it and it dissipates and goes away. For some people, if you have asthma, if you smoke, if you vape, uh, if you've got other lung problems like uh, COPD, or you've got other health problems. You know, your immune system is somewhat compromised. It goes to your lungs, your lungs shut down, you can't breathe, you need a respirator. The problem is we don't have a lot of respirators. So if New York City needs 60, 70, 80,000 respirators and you need to be in a room 
like an intensive care unit that is quarantined from other people, we don't have the capacity. In the Bay Area, for example, where we live, Jamal, we have 1,000 intensive care unit beds, okay? We would need 10,000 or more if, if the coronavirus gets close to the peak. New York. Well, you know, uh, in New York, they set up like in Manhattan, uh, like I guess ICU units at the Javits. No, these are not. I, no, no, they're not ICU units. This is a good point, Jamal. No, what they're doing is they're sending people who don't have COVID nineteen, who have other problems, to the Javits Center to get treatment. That's, yeah, just for our listeners, Javits Center is a conference center in Manhattan. It's a huge yeah. conference center. So I've heard off the coast of California now we have uh, some Navy ships. Right, on, the Mercy. Uh, yeah, right. exactly, on standby. The, uh, have you heard any plans, for example, like in San Francisco, we have the Moscone Center. Uh, have you heard any plans that they are going to do yeah. something similar to New York? Yeah, so here's the thing. What you want to do, I mean, Governor Newsom and, and mayor and the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, and, and the public health officials in, in the Bay Area, Northern California, actually doing something really good. Let's start with the, the, the Navy ship, the Mercy. It looks like it's going to dock in Los Angeles, not come to San Francisco. And the idea is if you're sick and you don't have the COVID-19, you go to a special place. You go to the ship. You go to a, a clinic, these makeshift clinics or hospitals, so you don't go to a regular hospital and drain resources from the doctors and nurses that are treating the very, very sick. So if you just have a regular illness, you need to see a doctor, you need to get treated, you go to the Mercy, the ship, which is looks like it's going to dock in L.A., or you go to the Javits Center, or you go to Moscone Center, or you go to some of these other places where you can be evaluated by a doctor, you can get treatment, and you don't run the risk of getting infected, and you don't take the resources from the hospitals that are treating very, very sick people. Mayor Breed said that she's going to, I mean, the Moscone Center has already turned into the uh, command center for the coronavirus epidemic in San Francisco. They are talking about using that for one of these clinics. What Governor Newsom has done is that he's, there's a hospital in Northern California, Jamal, called Seton. It looks like it was going to close. Governor Newsom is leasing that hospital, Seton Hospital, with about 400 beds, and he's going to turn it into a COVID-19 hospital. So one hospital in the Bay Area just for people who have COVID to take the burden from other hospitals and so people don't infect other people who need care right now. Part of what I'm saying sounds really terrible, and, and it is, but we haven't seen how terrible this is going to be. And my feeling is that it's better to do more and get blamed for doing too much rather than being blamed for not doing enough. Because we're not even close to doing enough, and if we don't really mitigate this, Jamal, if we don't flatten the curve, if we don't get our arms and our hands around this, it's going to be so much worse than we imagined. So I think the California approach has been good. In California, they've closed all the parks. In Northern California, they've closed the parking lots to parks. They're telling people, hey, this is not a party. Uh, Governor Newsom, 
you know, basically told these young people, hey, grow up. Governor Cuomo gave these people a tongue lashing and saying, hey, it's not a party, man. You're going to kill people. These are all good messages for people who believe that they could be immune from this or don't care about being infected. You may not care about being affected, but you're going to infect somebody else who could very well die. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We also welcome our listeners on Facebook Live and and Facebook. Uh, I want to, well, we've been talking about, of course, the coronavirus. Some uh, quick update as of today, 438,749 global cases. So, Jamal, that's 100,000 more cases in just four or five days. 19,675 deaths. And in the United States now, we have 53,594 cases and 714 deaths. So I want to talk about uh, shift gear related uh, to this, uh, to this just is, uh, well, a few things. I will talk a little bit what's happening on the global level, but also on the local level. I've been uh, hearing uh, and watching a lot of stories of uh, finger pointing and racism and discrimination, especially in California, uh, some Asian Americans. I watch a, a doctor who's an Asian American. I think she's from the Los Angeles area, or, or it might have been actually the Bay Area. Uh, you know, hearing all kinds of racist things targeting her, people telling her she, of course, she's like, uh, she was born in this country. People telling her to go back to where she came from, to go back to China. Uh, you brought this disease onto us, and there is an uptick. It's kind of it, it's it's a reminder in a way to what happened after 9/11. Uh, people finger pointing and trying to target all Arab Americans and call them terrorists. So now all Asians, in 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 many ways, and some of course of those racist circles, they're trying to kind of go after them. Well, you know, Jamal. Here you have the President of the United States getting up in front of the world and calling the COVID-19 virus the Chinese virus. Um, A deliberate attempt to racialize um, a virus which which is transracial, transcultural, transnational. The virus doesn't care who you are, what you are, and uh, viruses get started in multiple places all over the world. This is a completely racist construction for Donald Trump or for anybody to call this the Chinese virus. It's COVID-19. It doesn't care who you are, where you are. The, the other thing that is really problematic about what was said yesterday also is that Trump says, I wish the Chinese government had told me how bad this was. Breaking news, his, uh, he was briefed on this in early January and told that the potential for this being serious was there. He dismissed it, and then his top senior advisor, Jared Kushner, who is now in charge of the COVID-19 uh, team together with Mike Pence, who doesn't believe in science either, is reported that Jared Kushner told the president 
that this COVID-19 is, much, is being made much worse in the media than it really is. So we have a context of two things. Trump believing that this is a made-up story, calling it a Chinese virus, already racializing uh, uh, the virus rather than seeing it as a medical pandemic. And then the third thing, already blaming the Chinese government for what is happening in the United States. We've been getting reports from the New York Times and the Washington Report, uh, Washington, uh, uh, Washington Post, Jamal, that said that Trump was briefed by senior security people from the NSC, uh, from all of the top security people who, as far back as January, were, sa- were saying to him, you got a plan. This could be really bad. You can't let this get out of control. He dismissed it. He took the advice of Jared Kushner, it seems, who got him to believe that somehow this was a hyped up story and not as bad. I said this last show, Jamal, if uh, Jared Kushner does to the COVID uh, pandemic what he did for the Middle East peace process, the entire world is at jeopardy. He's a real estate person who's pretending that he knows something about science and medicine um, this is a very dangerous situation. Well, talking about the early warnings and the security briefings that were, of course, available to Trump, now we learn that uh, some uh, senators who received and their friends these early warnings, uh, uh, you know, sold a lot of their stocks, you know. Yeah. These are the same senators. And, and made, made money out of it because they actually took that seriously, but then they didn't warn anyone else. They didn't tell the American public that the economy is going to be affected because obviously the briefings from uh, the CIA and other security agencies uh, included saying that this is going to wreak, wreak havoc in the U.S. economy. Yeah, these are the same senators, Jamal, Republican senators who said that who were saying publicly, as you said, to their constituents when they were interviewed on the media, uh, this is not a big deal, don't worry, we'll get through this. They got briefings in January telling them that this is serious and that the risk to the United States was great. This government, this administration, and Republican senators have, have been so reckless. You know, every day, Jamal, that we didn't take immediate action put us weeks and months behind the curve. Um, the other thing that we should let our listeners know about is that from a political standpoint, the governors have been begging uh, the federal government and the Trump administration to do something. And what Trump is saying, no, this is up to the states. There's only the so much the federal government can do about this. So it's like saying during World War II, when we had to mobilize the entire country, it's like telling the states, okay, you states take care of taking, you know, dealing with the World War II or World War I. This is a state's issue. Donald Trump has said that the COVID pandemic is like going to war, yet he's not mobilizing the federal government in such a way to use the resources that we need to protect and save American lives and lives all over the world. He looks like a deer with the headlights uh, on. I mean, most of his briefings, I stopped watching them because like like you said, don't listen to Donald Trump. But again, I want to talk a little bit also 
since you mentioned Jared Kushner, there are different news coming from the Middle East, and of course, some areas are going to be devastated there. Right. The numbers are not as high as uh, like Europe or uh, China or the United States, but yeah, for but example, to give you an can't example, trust it. in but you Israel, can't trust it. you can't trust it. Yeah, in Israel, just the uh, health minister Yaakov Litzman, who also heads the uh, the ultra-Orthodox United Torah Judaism Party uh, at a press conference in Jerusalem just in uh, just March 19th, basically said that uh, we can get rid of the coronavirus because the Messiah is going to come. This is the time the Messiah is going to come. And these, these are his exact words. We are praying and hoping that the Messiah will arrive before Passover, the time for our redemption. And I'm sure that the Messiah will come and bring us uh, as God brought us out of Egypt. So you have, uh, I mean, this is not a re- only a religious leader, but he is the minister of health. It's, uh, you know what, Jamal? I, I, I think that um, when you hear things like this, when you hear, you know, denials of reality, delusions, not understanding science, it's okay to be a person of faith and believe in science. You know, that's, you know, this is not an either or proposition. Uh, but when you have people in power, a health minister who's saying, basically, don't worry, the Messiah is going to, in the, the second coming, and the Messiah will happen, he'll protect us all, is basically putting the lives of every single person in danger. As long as you bring up the Israeli public health minister, I have bad news. Um, It looks like there's COVID-19 in Gaza. Uh, You know, Gaza has been under this siege and has been closed off from the rest of the world for, you know, 14 years now, Jamal. But we heard that two people came to Gaza recently from Pakistan Right. tested positive for COVID-19. And because of how difficult it is, you know, to get resources into Gaza, number one, because of the Israeli blockade, and number two, how densely populated Gaza, it's the most densely populated place on earth. If the COVID-19 is, you know, gets out of control in Gaza, Jamal, we're talking about, you know, another uh, absolute uh, catastrophe that could could befall and uh, happen to Palestinians living in Gaza. I'm very worried about that. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. The, the the good news, as far as I, I heard about this so far, they've been kept under quarantine. They haven't had other cases besides these two cases. So far. So, so far. So hopefully that's the end of it. Meanwhile, other countries uh, like Jordan, and they're taking this actually... Very seriously, uh, some people saying to an extreme level in Jordan, you cannot go out on the streets, period. And if you get out on the streets now, the streets of Amman, which is the largest city in in Jordan, the most populated city, they have uh, the Jordanian army patrolling in Humvees. They will arrest you. They will arrest you and take you to a quarantine. Okay. So, so, you know, so they have basically in Jordan, it's under military curfew. You know, the curfew was imposed because people were flouting uh, the governments. They were going out to cafes, smoking uh, argile, you know, 
you know, uh, and continuing with their lives, making jokes about it, and the government got, you know, I guess uh, the head of the government is the king there. He just imposed a curfew. I think given the circumstances, you know, what the king did, you know, I'm a big critic of the king in general, as I've always been because of certain things. This is an example, given the public health hazard to not just the the kingdom of Jordan, but to the entire region, where he had to take a decision that was in the best interest of everybody who lives there. Because to see people, whether it's in Jordan or in Malibu or in Miami Beach, out on the streets, partying, thinking of this as a vacation, means that people are not listening and they're in deep denial. So I can understand what the king did. It it may be, you know, medically, I'm not talking from a democratic standpoint, obviously, but from a public health standpoint, the wisest thing he can do. I will tell you one place that I'm very worried about where we're not getting information from. Maybe you have better access than I do, Jamal. I'm very worried about Egypt and about Cairo because we know that Egypt had some of the first uh, COVID-19 infections uh, in the Arab world. And um, you and I have uh, spent time in Cairo. If you want to talk about a densely packed urban center, it's more densely packed and larger than uh, Manhattan by far. If this thing is unleashed in uh, Cairo or in Egypt, uh, President al-Sisi is in for trouble. Do you have any information about what's happening in Egypt? You know, obviously, Egypt has uh, cases. Uh, and the last time I've, I've checked, I, I go to this uh, website, which kind of gives you the numbers uh, by countries in different countries. And Egypt, uh, for whatever reason, it's showing relatively lower numbers, so I don't know if I trust this as far as uh, from the government. Uh, you know, as you know, I know a lot of people. For example, in Egypt, they claim that they only have 442 cases. I don't believe it. And, you know, the population of, you know, when you compare the population of Cairo, for example, to Manhattan, it's also one of the most crowded cities in the world, that they have 442 so in the, uh, in the country count, Egypt places like way below like, like 30th country. Like, you know, of course you have China, Italy, USA, Spain, Germany, Iran, France, South Korea, UK, Netherlands, Australia, uh, Belgium, Norway, Portugal, Canada, Sweden, Australia, Brazil, Israel, Turkey, Malaysia, Denmark, uh, Serbia, Luxembourg, Ireland, Japan, Ecuador, Chile, Poland, Pakistan, Thailand, Romania, Saudi Arabia, Finland, Greece, Indonesia, Iceland, and I can go, 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 go. Egypt comes after Panama. Yeah, I don't believe it. The numbers, and it doesn't make sense. Uh, I have, as you know, I've been talking to people, people have been very careful. They just don't know because most of the news comes from Egypt satellite TV. Uh, and or Nile TV, and uh, those are both uh, government controlled, and we know how, uh, what kind of reporting they provided during the so-called Arab Spring and d- during the revolution. They were giving misinformation as 
million a million people were uh, gathering at uh, Tahrir Square and they were kind of like giving them other information news this is during the toppling of uh, of Mubarak so I I think they're just keeping the news very low yeah I, I would say Jamal the number is very low yeah I think you're right I mean uh, you can't trust that number coming from the CC administration in a country of more than 80 million people, with Cairo being one of the largest... Uh, a country that actually hit 100 million just... Oh, my God. So, yes. Cairo... So, yeah. So, I, I, I'm worried about other places like that, like Egypt. Um, I, I'm, I'm just very concerned. I, I, just to go back, I, I did talk to some people in Palestine, Jamal, who lived in... Jerusalem and, and, you know, some of the West Bank cities. I will say, despite all of our criticisms of the Palestinian Authority, which are well-deserved, what they're doing in Palestine right now seems to be, you know, based on science at least. So there is a shelter-in-place uh, order throughout uh, Palestine. Um, people are not going out. The rate of infection that we know of so far seems to be relatively under control. So it looks like at least the Palestinian Authority, despite all of their other problems, when it comes to this public health issue, looks like they're doing the right thing right now. Well, as you know, in Palestine, they actually, despite the Israeli occupation and siege, they have a uh, pretty decent hospitals and high number of doctors and people yes. who are in the medical field. So they do believe in science. And, well, and so they have been enforcing, you're absolutely right, uh, the city of Bethlehem had pretty much a curfew, they're not allowing people to travel between cities, uh, they're enforcing, you know, um, the stay uh, at home policy. Uh, one happy story maybe, uh, or there are a few that just show you about the, the uh, I would say, the innovation of the Hebronites in Palestine, because they are, as you know, in Hebron, they are the most industrious uh, uh, and creative uh, people there. That they had a shoe factory, Jess, that overnight, in a couple of days, because they can't work, they transformed it into a factory to make masks. That's great. So, so they've been producing thousands of masks per day. That's awesome. This is a shoe factory overnight produces thousands of masks, uh, you know, and, and the one thing, you know, they do a lot of trade with China, you know. Right. So they brought some masks and they just duplicated them, you know, the surgical mask and they have been distributing them uh, all over like in, in Bethlehem and, and everywhere else. So hopefully, you know, people will stay uh, very safe because also Israel has for example, you know, for uh, has closed its borders with Gaza, so nothing will happen in Gaza. Also, recently they had some, uh, uh, well, uh, a lot of the people who work in Israel, Palestinians from the West Bank, have returned or some got stranded. And what recently a story when one was uh, who had uh, the virus, a Palestinian labor worker and instead of treating him in, in an Israeli hospitals uh, the Israeli authorities they just went and dumped him at a checkpoint Jeez. the guy's like super sick 
Okay, well, you've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM here in San Francisco. Uh, You've been listening to the COVID-19 shelter-in-place production of uh, Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We're broadcasting from our shelter-in-place locations in Northern California. We're going to continue to do the show uh, as we can in this this, uh, context. You can uh, catch these shows on our podcast. You can go to Facebook to Jamal Dejani too. You can go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com, and uh, you can download and listen to all of our shows. We want our listeners and our viewers to stay safe, stay uh, in your homes, wash your hands, and we're going to all get through this together. And we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Thank you.